On today's episode, we're talking all about AI, how you can turn back the biological hands of time and new age-proof pills. But first, it was in this day in 1878, Thomas Edison was granted a patent for his gramophone. On the 1st of February, Montana resident Chase Doak spotted something strange in the sky, a mysterious spherical object hovering in the distance. Right now, there is a ground stop on our airport, and this thing is up in the sky. And I have no idea what it is. Last week, news that the U.S. was monitoring a suspected Chinese surveillance balloon hovering in their airspace raised a series of questions. Not least, what is it and what's it doing there? Since the first report of the balloon, three other unmanned aerial objects have been spotted over North America. They've now been shot down and are being recovered by the U.S., but many questions about their origins and purpose still remain. Whilst China says the first object was for meteorological and other scientific research, government officials and experts in the field have other ideas. China's irresponsible actions were uh, visible to us, but also to the world. Uh, And China, as a result, has uh, a lot to answer for. The balloon was as tall as three double-decker buses, and considering it's multiple antennas capable of collecting intelligence, many suspect espionage. As for the other objects, General Glenn Van Herc, commander of the U.S. Northern Command, said last week, I haven't ruled out anything. Uh, at this point, we continue to assess uh, every threat or potential threat unknown that approaches North America uh, with an attempt to identify it. Philip Mantel is a full-time UFO researcher, and here's what he had to say about it. Well, it, it looks like it's it's a form of espionage. Uh, I mean, it's nothing new. You know, countries do spy on each other and then, you know, seem to be alarmed when, the, the, you know, when it happens to them. We spy on countries um, all the time. It's just at this time, it's for whatever reason, perhaps to, to, to embarrass certain countries, maybe China, that uh, it's gone public. Why do you think such limited information has been released about these so-called high-altitude objects? It's not always the information that's secret. It's how they've gathered those secrets. And, um, you know, there's been long-running building tension between the United States and China. Um, This looks like another example of that. But, you know, uh, even on a a newscast yesterday, one of the powers that be in the States said they weren't ruling anything out when he was specifically asked if these were ET in origin. So the conspiracy theorists within the subject have had a field day. And I can hardly blame them when you get, you know, powerful people like this saying we haven't ruled anything out. Why is the US suddenly spying on so many UFOs? If we go back to the UFOs that hit the headlines back in 2017, where they'd been filmed by various uh, Navy pilots, one of the comments there was that the aircraft and the aircraft carriers and other uh, ships in in the Armada, they had also had an upgrade of the detecting systems. And it could be that these things were always there, but but they couldn't see them before. Extraterrestrial and UFO stories are always popular, so do you expect we'll be hearing more news of more aerial objects? It'll fade away at some point because we've seen photos of the wreckage being recovered, and they are clearly balloons. I think the one up the north has landed on the ice pack out to sea, and it may be a bit more difficult to uh, obtain. But... uh, 
If there's any chance that the American authorities can examine this debris and further try and embarrass places like China, then I'm, I'm sure they will do. Uh, and I, I saw just on the news this morning that they're, they're not commenting yet on the, the, the other three. They're still saying that the original was Chinese in origin. So we'll wait and see. I think they want to get all their uh, T's crossed and I's dots before they make any more announcements so as not to embarrass themselves. As you undoubtedly know, the 6th of February saw two major earthquakes strike the southeastern region of Turkey near the border with Syria, killing thousands and toppling multiple buildings across the region. The first, measuring 7.8 on the Richter scale, struck just after 4.17am. Less than 12 hours later, a second struck the same region. They were felt by millions of people up to 1,000 kilometres away. As the world has witnessed this month, natural disasters can cause widespread damage to countries in an instant. Scientists globally have been trying to find ways to detect early signs of an earthquake and AI could be the key. Priya Lakani is an AI entrepreneur and she joined Laura Kunesberg on the BBC to explain how the emerging field could help us to be more prepared for natural disasters. So if you look at sort of three areas to make it simple, right? So before um, any sort of natural disaster, actually, then during and then afterwards. So if we're thinking about before, there are lots of people working on trying to predict an earthquake. So if you think about when in the fault line there's a rupture, there are waves, right? A sensory, if you have sensors at the wave areas and then those are basically speaking to seismologists' technologies mm-hmm. and then you're using pattern recognition of previous earthquakes and this is occurring on cyclones, every single type of natural disaster that you can think of. But they're trying to use machine learning and artificial intelligence to try and predict when one might happen. Now, it is a really nascent field. We haven't had the best of results, and they've tried this uh, in the past, particularly uh, in California, um, where there are, you know, there's lots and lots of different earthquakes, so they can try and measure that activity. Mm-hmm. The problem that we have is AI relies on lots of data. The data is about th- under three decades old, and so, but even giving a few seconds worth of warning mm-hmm. can stop trains to avoid them from derailing and you can turn off your gas to stop mm-hmm. the explosions. That's how AI can help before a quake hits but there's also the potential uses for after the damage has been done. If you think about AI and image recognition imagine using satellite data combining that with Google, Google Maps recognising images of previously buildings that were there, the ones that have fallen, right? And then trying to basically, you know, divert humanitarian aid into certain areas where there could be humans. Then imagine robots um, picking through the rubble, which is a lot safer, but even during the night using infrared technology. We've seen robots being developed and actually you can search for them and have a look at them. And it's absolutely incredible how this technology is being deployed. The AI and satellite, absolutely. Atlas AI is a company that then, they opened up their data sets and not only then during an earthquake, are you able to use their imagery to say that was where a building was but post an earthquake where buildings have been flattened you can then use that data and AI can help to model where should you reconstruct um, and how should you reconstruct so it's about predicting it's about being able to be more accurate with your decisions it's about actually trying to you know prevent loss of human life um, and then you've got this sort of before and after in where it can be used. So, you know the more and more investment we have in these areas there is AI for good and it can absolutely be used uh, for these sorts of purposes. 
Still to come on the Sunday 7 Extreme anti-aging routines and a new male contraception. Novak Djokovic, age 35, sometimes hangs out in a pressurised egg to enrich his blood with oxygen. Tom Brady, 45, evangelises supposedly age-defying supplements, hydration powders and pliability spheres. And LeBron James, 38, is said to spend $1.5 million a year on his body to stay in his athletic prime same. While most of their contemporaries have retired, all three of these elite athletes remain marvels of fitness. But in the field of modern health science, there's amateurs compared to Brian Johnson. Brian, a Silicon Valley multimillionaire, spends an eye-popping $2 million a year and rattles around after taking a whopping 52 pills a day in an effort to defy nature. He's 45 years old, but claims his biological age is much younger. And that, for every calendar year, he says he's only aging nine months. In the world of biohackers, he's the ultimate boundary pusher and this week he joined Times Radio to explain the method behind his madness. And it begins at 5am and I do maybe 100 plus uh, protocols in a given day. So what we do is we measure every organ of my body, pancreas, liver, heart, kidneys, and then we look at the scientific literature, we create clinical guidelines and protocols, and then we just implement that. And so I agreed as part of this process to not use my mind to make decisions. So I don't go to pizza parties or look at a menu at a restaurant. We just go through this process of measurement, evidence, protocol creation, and implementation. So my day is basically uh, running through the entirety of what the science says to do to slow my rate of aging and reverse the aging that has happened. My body runs three degrees Fahrenheit uh, lower than normal uh, because of my routine. I do uh, HRV therapy, which is modulation of my nervous system to calm my nervous system. I then uh, drink a what I call the green giant, which is a bunch of uh, vitamins and minerals uh, with 52 pills. I work out for an hour, then I eat a few pounds of vegetables and a few things in between, and then I'm ready for the day. And so what's this mean for Brian's body and its age? Uh, I left my mother's womb 45 years ago. My body is aged uh, a, a, a few hundred different age markers because the pancreas has a, is an age, the heart is, the lungs can be characterized through a dozen different kinds of ages of function and anatomy. So. Uh, it, there's no one number for my body age. It just is measured across hundreds of measurements. This is the frontier of being human. It will soon become normalized. Everything like this always goes through a process where it's rejected. People have, uh, you know, uh, they challenge the situation because it, it's contrary to status quo. I think this is one of the most important things that we could be focused on is basically everyone feeling their very best. The whole idea of asking, does someone want to live forever? It's a absurd question that breaks the human brain. We should not pose it. All we care about is, do we want to live tomorrow? And somehow, most of us, at the end of each day, have something to look forward to tomorrow. And when tomorrow arrives, we want to feel our very best. We don't want to feel aches and pains. We don't want to feel cloudy mind. It is awful being uh, in a compromised health situation. We all know it. Being sick or having some, uh, you know, being hurt. It is not a good thing. And so if we can agree that we all want to be our best, it would make sense that we say, you know what? Let's stop the self-harm we do to ourselves individually and culturally as a society. Let's stop asking the individual to have to navigate life, to go to work, pass 50 different fast food places, all the different sugar uh, coffee shops that are offering there, all the bad algorithms asking us to spend time on social media and, and watching shows. Let's rethink ourselves and and contemplate what is the future of human potential. It's time we get serious about our potential. We plan for everything in life. Why not as a species? Why wouldn't we look at that horizon? 
Scientists in America say they may have developed a drug for use as a contraceptive pill for men. They say it works by temporarily stopping sperm from propelling itself. The drug switches off an enzyme that sperm need to be able to wiggle their tails, so to speak. The tests on mice show the effect is short-lived, causing their sperm to stay stunned for about three hours, with normal function restored within a day. Stephanie Page is an endocrinologist and professor at the University of Washington School of Medicine. She joined the BBC to offer more insight into this revolution new form of the pill. I think this is really important work. You know, we've been working towards developing a male contraceptive pill for a number of decades now, and this is really work that's proof of principle that at least in an animal model, conceptually an on-demand contraceptive pill could be available to men and women in the future. With the mouse study complete, the hope is to see similar results in humans. I think there's quite a bit of work to do to show that. Again, this is exciting work, but we have a long road ahead. Um, this work shows that in mice in a short period of time given high doses of this uh, blocker so to speak that this can be effective but translating findings in mice and even in non-human primates to humans has been particularly challenging and really in the area of reproductive health even more challenging than in some other areas so it's really exciting work but there's quite a lot more to do. So that's the supply. What about the demand? Are men ready and willing? There's quite a bit of work. There's work sponsored by a variety of agencies and surveys that have been asking men recently if they're interested in contraceptives. And and really that response and the response we see in our studies is extremely positive. So I think there's certainly a market here. It's really about uh, creating more choices and, if you will, a contraceptive menu for men so that they can become more engaged in contraception. Whilst there are some fears from men regarding long-term fertility, Stephanie hopes more testing will set their minds at ease, meaning they can finally start playing their part too. Developing reversible contraceptive methods for men is really important and addressing potential side effects. So really that has to be shown in a long range study and a long term study. And I think it's really important to remember too that every method won't work for every person. And so just like for women, where creating lots of contraceptive choices means that there's more contraceptive engagement, we can expect the same thing from men. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of work to do that would show men and their partners, most importantly, that these methods can be effective. But I think that um, that can be done in the future. Still to come on the Sunday 7, Bing's big update and revolutionary poop bills. Right after this. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso. Or maybe try our UK edition. It's all in the usual places. Write me a podcast script about Bing's new AI-powered interface. Hello, and welcome to our podcast. Today, we'll be talking about Bing's new AI-powered interface. Bing has always At the February event, Microsoft announced a new AI-powered version of their search engine, Bing. Using the same technology as ChatGPT, which was launched two months ago, Microsoft hope theirs will revolutionise the way we search. Whilst we would leave it to Bing to tell us the rest, we caught up a resident tech reporter and very much skin and bone, Will Guyot. Hey, Will. Thanks for joining us. How does the Bing update change how we can find information on the internet? Well, imagine it's a bit like talking to like somebody in an online chat. So you might say, uh, it's my anniversary in March. I want to go somewhere in Europe, a couple of hours away from Heathrow Airport. And what Bing can do is come up with actual suggestions of places which aren't too far away to fly. It will even offer you suggestions to good prices on deals. So what it's actually doing here is kind of taking your question and physically going away like a human would to create various strands to move on from where you've started with your initial search. And um, I think the big risk is that, uh, as we've seen with uh, ChatGPT, there was a a Dutch uh, professor who said it was essentially a bullshitter on steroids. I think you've actually got the same problem with what Bing AI currently does. I don't think all the answers it's going to give currently are correct. But what it gives is a really interesting vision into the future of how this is going to work. It's going to make internet search a lot easier than people suggested voice search or something like that would do. Have you had a play yet? How was it? I've played with it a bit. I've played with it for a couple of hours. Uh, it's um, one of these things whereby I'm sure I could spend days looking at it because don't forget, we've been using internet search engines now for decades. I think it could be really useful to answer specific questions if you're trying to find uh, detail or let's say you're trying to get some suggestions for something. Um, it will be really interesting to see the wrong answers that it gives because we know that will happen. But it's an in- this is an interesting start. This is uh, the first time somebody's really plugged in uh, the kind of the whole AI chatbot into a search engine. And it will be interesting to see what develops from here because Google have piled in there with Baird, their system, uh, the Chinese search engines, Baidu, etc., are all looking at similar AI engines. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this advances our ability to find stuff amongst all these billions of pages on the internet. Most of these AI chatbots have teething problems. How has Bing performed so far? I think Bing so far, we've not seen it turn into a monster racist or go down any strange routes like some of the early experiments caused things to be shut down. But I think a lot of what happens here with these chatbots now is the information and the data that they're fed and what Microsoft or whoever lets them learn from. And it's going to be interesting to see if every question and every comment is going to help shape 
the the kind of overall learning and understanding of that particular uh, particular bot or whether or not it's going to be more selective programming. Historically, Bing has not exactly been a sore away success. Google is even reportedly the top searched word on Bing. So do you think this could make Microsoft's search engine a wordy threat to Google? I think we're going to need to see these new AI enhanced search engines all have a chance for themselves. Let's see what Google can do with, with their version. Let's see what the Chinese can do with Baidu and um, and with other advancements. I think it's an interesting time and we're going to see how this improves search over the next, I think even over the next six months to a year, we'll get some really clear understanding of how this is performing. But in terms of Bing, which has been not even an also ran, it's never even, you know, it's hardly on anybody's list of search engines to use. Uh, this is really improving its capability and more and more people seem to be trying it as a result. In a move to shift towards a greener future, the European Parliament has given its final approval to a ban on new sales of carbon-emitting petrol and diesel cars by the end of 2035, with the view of getting them off the continent's road by the middle of the century. European Union member states have already approved the legislation and will now formally vote it into law at an upcoming ministerial meeting. Vote on the report by Mr Jan Houtema on CO2 emission standards for cars and vans. And it is adopted and thereby the first reading of Parliament is closed. Thank you. The landmark rules require that by the year 2035, car makers must achieve 100% cut in carbon dioxide emissions from new cars that are sold. This would make it impossible to sell a new fossil fuel-powered vehicle in the 27-country block. The law will also set a 55% cut in carbon dioxide emissions for the new cars sold from 2030. Compared to the 2021 level set, this is much higher than the existing target of about 37.5%, supporting the European Union's ambitious plans to become a climate-neutral economy by the year 2050. Franz Timmermans is executive vice president of the European Commission and a passionate supporter of the new plans. The industrial revolution is happening whether we like it or not. We can choose to lead it. We can choose to do it in a way that is socially compatible with our values or we can leave it to other parts of the world to lead it and then all we can do is follow and deindustrialize. We need to rebuild our industry on the basis of the future and the car industry can lead this if you vote for this proposal today. In the United States this year, 16 out of 100 people will face bowel obstruction with a number doubling for those over 60. So scientists at the Massachusetts Institute have come up with an innovative solution. A pill. But it's no ordinary pill. This groundbreaking new constitution solution makes use of tiny robots. Before that spooks you, don't worry. R2-D2 isn't going anywhere near your bum. Let me explain. The pill has small sensors in it which can detect if you're having digestive issues. And if you are, they think about what will fix it. The pill has been tested on pigs and researchers are entering human clinical trials soon. As fascinating as it sounds, an Israeli company has already marketed a similar product. Vibrant Gastro has come up with a vibrating capsule that promises to cure your constipation. 
The FDA cleared Vibrant for use in August 2022, but the treatment has only just become available for doctors to prescribe this week. The capsule is meant to be taken every day, and once it reaches the large intestine, it stimulates nerve cells in the gut and triggers muscle contractions to help you get going. We presume the vibrations aren't able to be heard by others, so you'll just have to keep on blaming the dog rather than your robot pills. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with a regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.